Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. I am so excited for today's episode. Believe it or not, I met Dr. Carolyn Best on Instagram. She reached out to me after I posted a video with a rubber chicken demonstrating what happens to your pelvic organs from sucking your stomach in 24-7. We became IG besties. I couldn't believe that an obstetrician and a urogynecologist was reaching out to me and was keen to refer her patients to Pilates. Dr. Best not only delivers babies, she's a surgeon who does bladder lifts and prolapse repairs. And if there is anyone who knows about vaginas and pelvic health, she does. And she wants to keep you out of surgery if possible. She's also an incredible vegan chef and made an e-cookbook this spring for Food Bank's Canada COVID Relief Fund that raised almost $10,000. Dr. Best is a mom of two, a dear friend of mine, and we are so excited she's here with us today. Between running an OB practice, doing surgeries, not a big deal, in the OR, and being a mom to two young kids, we are so grateful for your time today. Thank you for being here. Oh, no problem. Happy to answer some questions. Talk about these things. Oh my God. We have so much to cover today. I'm hoping this isn't the longest episode we've ever done, but it might be. No promises. Long and uninformative. All things. Ask whatever you want. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. We're going to cut right to the chase and we want to talk to you about something that a lot of women personally I have dealt with as a Pilates teacher. Sometimes it happens in exercise class. Um, It's called queefing mm-hmm. so queefing. AKA, yeah vagina farts, Which vagina farts I, like, like I have to say because the word kills me it's, yeah, it's not good why couldn't they name it something <laughs> adorable like I know <laughs> bubbles vagina bubbles like just cute yeah. little something oh. but they had to name it queef queefing You're right I think it, that helps like automatically it had no chance right with being cute or something that you're not ashamed of or you know hiding or whatever when it happens in the most um awkward situations like working out or having sex and all those things so can you give us the rundown on like what is queefing sure why it happens and like what do we do about it so um i'll be really honest with you um obviously i i can answer lots of questions about queefing but to be honest with you it doesn't come up a lot in my day-to-day conversations and practice and I think it might be for the exact reason why you guys are asking me about this today is that people yeah. might even be too embarrassed to ask their gynecologist about it 100 because <laughs> nobody really wants nobody really wants to talk about their vaginas making a sound which is I think like people would prefer their vaginas to just hang out and be what they are and not cause problems <laughs> And honestly, that's probably the, you know, they, but you can obviously have lots of problems with them. And no matter what the issue is, I find that, you know, some of the women I see with the, with the true issues um, and troubles um, that they have, it's gotten to the point where it's really bad. 
So that's why queefing doesn't come up in our day-to-day that much. But basically what it is, like you were saying, is passing gas from the vagina, from the vaginal opening. Um, it is obviously not at all the same as farts or the medical term is flatus that comes from your anus. Or from wait, your wait, what? Say that again. Oh, flatus from your anus? Flatus. <laughs> An- anus flatus. <laughs> Did they flatus. make it rhyme on purpose? No, I just said that. Flatus. Rather say anus flatus. Excuse me. I just anus flatus. Flatus is F L A T U S, and that's gas passed from. Oh, like flatulence. Flatulence. Oh, you put it all together, Lex. That's awesome. (laughs) Way to go. (laughs) Totally not the same thing. So, gas that comes from our uh, bowels obviously is created from. Um, not obviously, but it comes from digestion the bacteria and our microbiome, which are healthy for us, of course, and part of our health and digestion as well. That's another topic, um, produce gas. And so, you know, we can't control that either. And we can't control queefing either, to be really honest with you. But the difference is that, um, you know, our vagina and, and those reproductive organs don't generate gas in the same way that our bowels do. So the only reason that air escapes from their vagina and happens to make a sound um it's because it got in there in the first place in one way or the other it had to get so out. it had to get out and so it can happen randomly it can happen during times where you really don't want it to happen um when there's somebody close by like during sex um yoga that, class. Can be embar- that can be embarrassing for women yoga class i don't know about pilates but you can tell us about that also but the pilates. point is Physical activities that involve the movement of our hips, the spreading of our legs, or anything like that can allow air to enter the vagina, and then it gets trapped, um, and then it eventually just comes out. So it, it gets introduced by that kind of activity, and then it may also come out during the activity, just simply because of those movements. Um, so it's a totally normal function. Some people, it happens to just about all of us in our life, one time or another. Um, it's you know, if it makes a sound you know, that can be embarrassing. It doesn't have a scent or a smell like flatus from your anus. <laughs> anus flatus. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sorry, I'm because dying. It's not, I'm dying. It's okay. <laughs> because it's not the same kind of gas. It's air. It's just air. So um, it doesn't have a smell like air from that we breathe typically. Fresh air doesn't have a smell either. So right. it's the sound that makes people embarrassed. Mm. Um, I find that some women will... Um, they don't really complain to me about queefing, but they might say, you know, I've noticed air coming out of my vagina and they're concerned about it. They're, you know, like, what is that? I would say that sometimes um, in certain types of pelvic floor issues or specifically prolapse, which is something that we may end up getting to and discussing <laughs> if, if the opening, if, if the opening is um, wider or after birth changes that are normal with our vagina and air is able to get in there um, more than than previous, then you might be more likely to get trapped and you'll notice it comes out. Um, but I, I tell people it's nothing harmful. Like it's absolutely nothing harmful. And it, you know, it's nothing to really be, be worried about. It's not dangerous whatsoever. Okay, I have a question. So yeah. would you make a correlation between, you know, the propensity to queef and the need mm-hmm. to do Kegels? Ah. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really say so. I would say um, if you're noticing it's happening a lot to you, 
the queefing, okay? And it's bothering you. First of all, it's not an issue if it doesn't bother you. If it doesn't bother you, then you don't have to do anything about it, obviously. But if it is and you're noticing it a lot, I would first ask yourself, like, what are this, what's the scenario that this is occurring in? If it's happening during sex, you know, there may be factors about the sex that make it more likely. But, um, you know, this is an issue between your and your, your partner. Um, I've even had some women say to me, if we're going to go there, that um, we are, I know that's my point that, you know, some men like it because it may be, it's a sign that things are more vigorous, that they're doing a good job for whatever male brain oh. does that um, because it's Queefing's more vigorous. PSA. <laughs> Queefing's hot. Like they like it. They think that like, that means that they're doing something. I've like had it. people, what? I've had people say that to me. I've had patients say that to me and he, honestly, I hear so many things. It kind of goes in one ear, I deal with it or it comes out the other. It doesn't embarrass me anymore. But the point is, it is a sign of more vigorous sex just because air is getting introduced. Right. Um, so I would say in, in the sex thing, I think look at what you're doing. Certain positions might make it more likely. Uh, avoid that if it bothers you. If it happens randomly during your life such that it's embarrassing to you because you think people are hearing it, which they probably aren't, but if they are, or if it's happening exercise class when everything else is very quiet, you might want to consider having a pelvic floor physio assess you or being assessed for the strength of your pelvic floor um, in terms of whether strengthening it, if there's a weakness, can help to reduce the likelihood of it happening just simply because it'll reduce the likelihood of air entering. Mm. But I don't think that queefing is a sign of dysfunction or of problems directly. Just because, honestly, anybody with a vagina can have queefing. It doesn't actually matter whether there's anything wrong with it or not. It could be totally normal and there can be nothing absolutely wrong with you whatsoever. And I think that that's like the key, right? Is Yeah. Like you said it happens to probably everyone at some point in their life. It is normal. And mm-hmm. I mean, if it's happening during sex, I mean, sex is already messy. There's like fluids. There's sure. things. There's this. There's that. Yeah. Like, it's, At least you know, of your concerns. <laughs> there's lots of lots of things going on so and hey right. if your uh, partner feel good about themselves then way to go queef <laughs> way. vagina bubble we're calling it a vagina, vagina bubble, bubble. yeah let's just bubble bubble on but, air bubble yeah and so with that I guess with queefing being the normal and and uh, I guess it happening to others and like you said if you are in that boat then and you are worried about it perhaps maybe seeing a pelvic floor therapist or someone about it. But um, what in terms of like pelvic um, floor dysfunction, I guess, being one of your main specialties, like what are some of the things since queefing doesn't seem to be one of the topics that comes up as commonly, um, what comes up, what is the most common thing to kind of come across your, uh, what do you say, I guess, like bed, like death? Your caseload. Your caseload. Caseload. Yeah. Your clinic, yeah, yeah. So patients, yeah, patients come to me um, entirely just the way our system works by referral. So they're referred by their family doctors or from other gynecologists. And by the way, lots of um, gynecologists who don't have additional training in urogynecology um, can be more than capable and excellent with dealing with lots of pelvic floor concerns. So it's something we deal a lot with in gynecology in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tend to see the people who've already tried conservative um, options um, and sort of first-line therapies um, where or where things may be more complicated or they've had surgeries before. Um, but overall, if we're talking about pelvic floor dysfunction, which is a, um, a really general term, um, it basically means concerns that, again, 
affect our quality of life um, that, and, and unfortunately are actually quite common for women that affect our pelvic organs in the way that they relate to our pelvic floor, which is just like our diaphragm under our ribs is a diaphragm at the bottom of our pelvis in humans that helps to protect and hold our organs in. And is, by the way, a lot more developed and important in humans because we stand up against gravity. For four-legged mammals like dogs and cats, whatever, it's less of an issue. Right. So I only bring that up just because, you know, I, I joke, but I'm also serious with my patients in that we're always going to be dealing with gravity and the fact that we're biped and we stand up on two legs. So the function of our organs um, is somewhat under our conscious control. I'm talking about urinating. Um, passing urine bowel movements that kind of thing and then of course we have the in women the vagina as well and all the functions whether it's sexually or from a reproductive point of view that are going through the pelvic floor diaphragm coming through it and so pelvic floor dysfunction can relate to any of those functions which are all super important functions so the most important the most common um, pelvic floor disorders that I see just from a likelihood and prevalence point of view would be um, incontinence of urine Mm-hmm. So not being able to control your pee, your urinating, there's a few different kinds of urinary incontinence. Um, also something called pelvic organ prolapse, um, meaning typically by way of the vagina is what we're talking about. Prolapse, meaning descent of the organs down um, in a way that creates discomfort or dysfunction with your bladder function or with your bowel function. You can also have issues related to your pelvic floor with your um, anus and with your rectum with bowel movements as well. So you can have issues there as well. I deal with that less. Um, As a gynecologist, I I am mostly dealing with the issues that happen either from a urinary point of view, incontinence or prolapse from the vagina. Mm -hmm. So it's incontinence and prolapse that I see most common. Other things I see are um, factors or concerns rather that have other factors um, in addition to the pelvic floor dysfunction, things like recurrent urinary tract infections mm. or um, painful bladder syndrome or um, issues of pain around the bladder or, or the vagina and the pelvic floor as well. So I would see those things as well. So even though I don't deal with the rectum and the anus as much, of course, um, the area itself is all very close together in the anatomy and in the function. So we end up talking about bowel function just as much uh, in terms of trying to help people to prevent Mm -hmm. themselves from getting problems or to help prevent them from getting worse. Carolyn, how common is this? Like how common would you say, like if you, and I'm sure there's data on this, but like, so what's the stat first on women who have issues with their, their bladder with leaking incontinence? Um. There's a bunch of numbers out there. I think along the lines of what you were saying at the beginning, some of the trouble we have in estimating the true prevalence or the or the likelihood it has to do with how willing people are to divulge that information or to admit they have a problem. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if people aren't willing to talk about it, we don't know how truly common it is, right? Mm-hmm. We only know mm-hmm. from the people that can't stand it or who feel comfortable talking. So I would really say in terms of overall pelvic dysfunction, if you're looking at incontinence or prolapse, up to one in three or one in four women in their lifetime wow. Wow. are likelihood to have some kind of issue. So they'll think about that. I mean, like that puts it right up higher than lots of other chronic medical conditions. Maybe not as serious as like diabetes or heart disease or in, you know, impact on your mm-hmm. longevity or your, um, you know, mortality really, but um, it's not life or death, but can affect your quality of life. And so in your lifetime means, immediately postpartum 
um, as a child, which is less likely. And children have different kinds of issues, of course, right? But uh, as we get older, after menopause, um, in our whole lifetime, it can be just that common. Um, I think there's other stats out there that's, for example, describe it based on how the percentage of women that end up seeing a physician or having a, a surgery or procedure for a type problem. So some studies have said somewhere between 11 and 19%, so nearly 20% of women will have some kind of procedure for prolapse or incontinence by the time they're 85. Wow. What? That's wild. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And so that's why, you know, improving awareness and talking about these things is important just so we all are able to understand what we can do, whether it's prevention or just uh, even simply to know we're not alone or yeah. how to get help with them. Right. What's the average age? Sorry. I've got so many questions. Yeah. We keep talking over each other. Lexi, you go yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say with, um, incon like, because I know with incontinence, oftentimes it's like you said, with the numbers piece of it, it's like not knowing that what your problem is, is a problem, I guess. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. For me, I have struggled with uh, incontinence issues even before being pregnant, having baby, and then post as well. Um, but from a prolapse perspective, I actually I don't know a lot about that. And I, I guess from um, someone who doesn't know a lot about it, my question would be, is it um, similar where people don't know that women don't know that they have an issue and then they discover they do when they finally get treated is, is that, is that similar? And with prolapse specifically, like how would you know if you have um, uh, any, any issues in that area? Right. So um, one of the hardest things about my job and my career that I did not anticipate when I went into it is, and how I was going to feel about it either uh, as a vague way of answering your question is that, you know, I'm really kind of the end of the line girl, unfortunately. So I see people when the problem has become something that is affecting their daily life. The most common symptoms are pressure with prolapse. We're talking about prolapse. Mm-hmm. Like there's a ball or a bulge or something or heaviness of something falling down or falling out of the vagina. Um, maybe even having discomfort with sex because of it. Right. Um, prolapse itself does not cause incontinence. That's a more complex explanation. But um, prolapse is simply just the descent or the loss of support of the structures around the vagina such that they start to come down almost like a hernia by way of the vagina because that has now become the weakest point and like the path of least resistance with gravity. So many people, to answer your question, walk around with some degree of prolapse if you're to look at it objectively. Like if I, I say to women, because one of the most common things they ask me in a similar way is what should I do doctor? Should I have a surgery or well, how much describe my prolapse for me? Um, is that bad? Um, I try to stay away from levels of severity or, or telling somebody how quote bad it is because it's different than something like a cancer, which spreads and has a direct consequence. If I pull 50 women off the street who've had one vaginal birth or two vaginal births or three vaginal or, you know, multiple kids, because it is mostly a situation that happens to women that have had pregnancies or vaginal birth, because that's the event that is the most likely to create, most likely to create some damage to the pelvic floor. Right. Um, and, and affect the support. Many of those women, if I pull them off the street and examine them, will have some degree of prolapse when you look at it objectively. So you might see some laxity 
if I'm looking from my medical point of view of the different components of the vagina when I'm examining somebody and seeing something coming down. That doesn't mean that they have prolapse that they should necessarily get fixed or deal with. It's actually even hard for me to tell them that they're going to have a problem in the future in most cases. Because that's the point of view that I come from where I examine people once they got an issue, I describe it to them in terms of what I see and match that to what they're feeling. And then we make a decision together on whether to do anything about it. But if you flip that over, what I wish would change about our culture and our society, which I think is happening from having more conversations about it and increasing awareness, is kind of what they're doing in Europe already, which is involving ways of rehabilitating this part of our body, recognizing birth as an issue in terms of affecting our function and and our support, and, and looking at it like every other muscle in our body that requires attention, requires rehabilitation, requires patience, awareness, and strength, and improving the strength to almost prevent it from becoming as prevalent as it is in terms of what I described, right? Right. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, the point is prolapse is only a problem if it is bothering you. Um, and it doesn't mean that everybody should, should be concerned that they have it and get checked. And, and I also, I, I even find lately I've been getting more referrals for women in their first year postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because they see a pelvic physiotherapist, which is awesome, by the way, would strongly encourage that uh, before and after uh, birth. Uh, regardless regardless of what kind of birth you have um, and they get told oh you have a grade two or you have a stage two prolapse and then they get referred because they're really really worried about it I would say first of all give your body some time um, healing is needed mm-hmm. um, there's things you can do to improve that it's very much likely right um, right Nikki it's very much likely okay to yeah I want to share get, the story get better I, I texted you like, after yeah, I was yeah, like oh my god better. I feel some. So I'm obviously a very lucky girl that I have you on text. So oh. I gave birth four months ago. And as my second baby, for those of you listening, um, eight pounds, 12 ounces, like a big baby, three yeah, hours. Like a champ, by the way, no epidural. No, three hours from start to finish. Like it was all very dramatic, but we'll not go into the birth story here. It's not no. the podcast for that. But anyways, yeah. I was like, you know, and I had tearing both times because it was pretty fast and it's second degree, right. like pretty common. Yeah. And I remember common. like being at home, like what? It was like a week later. And I was like, I took a mirror down there as one does or doesn't do, but I had to know what was going on. And I was like, oh my God, it looks different. Well, obviously it looked different. Of course. But you think it was just you I mean, all like, tidied up with a little bow? Something's Don't coming. Look. I was like, no, no, like I felt, and of course, and I wait, I was I waited longer than a week. Like I felt like mm-hmm. I could still go in there a little bit. I know. But I actually like I was like, something's coming out. I was convinced. Oh my god. Because here's the backstory. I had bronchitis when I was in my third trimester. So I was coughing a lot. And I know from the research that's a separate story too, right? That's a whole well, with that's a COVID. Whole with COVID, yeah, coughing. Everyone was like, you know, you're, yeah. you're diseased. Great. We're not going to treat Great. you. And I was yeah. like, I need help. Like I don't have COVID. I have bronchitis. Anyways, so I was coughing when I was heavily pregnant and I had leaking because I was heavily pregnant and coughing, second right. kid, whatever. And I was like, I know in the research that coughing when you're that pregnant is correlated with risk of prolapse because the cough is such a huge blast of intra-abdominal pressure, 
mm-hmm. on your belly, on your pelvic floor. So of course I was convinced that I had prolapse. So I was like, doc, like I was tempted. I didn't, but I was tempted to like take a picture and send it to her. <laughs> I would have been fine with that, but I would have been like, no. In fact, I would have said, no, stop you looking. You don't need to. Um, no, please uh, but, in all, but in all seriousness, you know, like as human beings, we are always going to have activities, whether it's coughing or lifting things or just like yeah. you know, exercising or functions that involve an increase in our abdominal pressure. And it's that increase in abdominal pressure that also creates the symptoms of prolapse and makes them more likely. So other things to talk about in that category are things like constipation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, vaginal birth, of course, of a child is the most likely thing to give you um, symptoms or to give you prolapse enough to have symptoms. But constipation is the other thing that a lifelong of constipation will do a similar thing, basically, especially if you're straining to have bowel movements. And that's also a huge thing that has to do with health overall in our diet um, and our lifestyles, right? Um, so you can avoid increases in abdominal pressure is the point. It's pretty much impossible to avoid things that are going to damage your pelvic floor as a human being, especially if you're going to have children. Um, So it's all about managing that and just doing our best. Um, But I would encourage women postpartum to give their body time to heal, um, learn about the distribution of their abdominal pressure, right, Nikki, in terms of what they're doing, modifying and exercise and all that comes with that. And then also seeing as professional, like a physiotherapist to help rehabilitate that, because I think that that actually, I, I think that can go a long way in, uh, in terms of prevention. Yeah. Right. And so wait, so Nikki, what did, what did you do? <laughs> You're wait, back to Nikki's prolapse. Okay. So, what so was I, working? Yeah. What came I, from it? Well, I went, I went down to, so I, I basically saw, and we've had her on another episode, Dr. Sinead for a checkup, um, at six weeks post and she's a pelvic floor physical therapist. Anyways. Mm -hmm. So I went and she checked me and she was like, and again, I I immediately was like, there's, I think I have prolapse. And so she checked me. She's like, you know what? You don't have prolapse your bladder neck is low. And I was like, wait, something's low. What's the problem? So bladder and neck, who even knew the bladder had a neck? It it has a neck. (laughs) So she basically was like, think of your bladder, like think of your bladder, like a balloon. The balloon Mm -hmm. isn't coming down, but the balloon tie is coming down. And I was like, but that's still part of the balloon. So the balloon neck that's wearing a tie is coming down. (laughs) So yeah, I was, I was a bit like, you know, I do this for a living. I teach this stuff. I talk about mitigating the risk of prolapse, but it it just goes to show that like, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, these Mm -hmm. things are really hard to avoid. And so anyhow, this was, I'm convinced because of all the stupid coughing that I did. I coughed for like a month. Like right, sure. It, it was bad. So of course I'm back to to I'm texting Dr. Best, giving her the the play by play, and she's just like, <laughs> just give it some time. Like you, we have a tendency of catastrophizing these things, right? Which sure. I was going to say that. Yeah, I was um, going to say that too. I think we worry that it means something is going to come next, right? Um, yeah. Not always, though. Not necessarily is what I was trying to say to you. Yeah. So I I went back at tw- what. 13 weeks, 12 weeks post, and my bladder neck is no longer coming down, which is Yay! So so anyone listening to this too, you can improve a prolapse. And from my understanding, you know, we can increase it if it's like, and we talk about the grades, right? Like level one Mm -hmm. or level two. I understand Mm -hmm. that with the right exercise, 
you can reduce the severity. When you get to a point where usually these women are seeing Dr. Best and it's like, I've heard it said, it's like, there's a golf ball coming out of my vagina. And I notice it when I'm in the shower, like that's more severe and to generally exercise might not necessarily bring that golf ball back up. Yeah. That, yeah I mean, and, yeah. and being someone who doesn't have any experience or knowledge around this, like be, I can imagine being told you have prolapse level two. And I was like, well, that's not a level one. So it's obviously worse than, <laughs> you know, that. And so, and prolapse just doesn't sound great again with the words. And so it's you, I would panic as well. And so I guess like the message really is like, mm-hmm. give yourself, and, and I think with women postpartum, always mm-hmm. we're trying to like get back to normal, get back to normal, get back to normal, whatever normal is. And it's that give yourself time, right. in all areas, um, yeah, is so important. And so I have a question that links mm-hmm. to you referencing constipation, which mm-hmm. would be questions that we've both, um, both Nikki and I have spoken about, um, in different ways, which is around hemorrhoids and have had the most amount of like just engagement with people on with women, especially who, again, I think it's just such this topic that no one really wants to like go there and discuss because it's hemorrhoids. Um, but it happens. So it's, it's such a common thing to happen. Right. Absolutely. Like, okay. I did a poll on my stories yeah, and I was like, how many of you have had hemorrhoids? Guys, 82% of women exactly. responded and said that they experienced hemorrhoids either in their pregnancy or postpartum. Right. It's such a- Super exactly. common. Yeah, it's so common. And I think that there's just like obviously a lack of discussion around it perhaps, or I don't know. So yeah. what can you tell us? I know- About hemorrhoids? Yeah. What's oh, no, it's good. another doctor called the bum doctor, Colin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Colin. I'm not a bum no. doctor. <laughs> We're going to get I one love of them. that when they hear it. I love it. But let's go there anyways for now. Okay. No problem. So, um, I had a really, like, I, I had a really fun, I'll actually say conversation with one of my colleagues. She's a colorectal surgeon. Is That's what, the word. Um, now, lots of general surgeons are are surgeons that deal with um, the bowels or digestive tract and some other areas as well. General surgeons are also the kind of surgeons that do breast surgery, breast cancer surgery, all kinds of things. So they work on different parts of the body, but they're the uh, collection of specialists that deal with hemorrhoids or may do a procedure on a hemorrhoid or see people with hemorrhoids. Um, but basically, hemorrhoids. Um, I, you have to think about it as something that's uh, a normal part of our body, um, where given the right circumstances will basically declare themselves in a way that we otherwise wouldn't want to know about it. And I think in a similar way to our topics we're discussing, you're right. People don't want to talk about their bums, um, or discuss their bums or show anybody their bums, especially if they think it looks weird. Um, and you know, I had a fun conversation with my colleague, Sandra DeMontbrun, who's a colorectal surgeon here in Oakville. And the reason why I say it's fun is because she speaks as frankly and abruptly about your bum as I do about your vagina. And it makes me laugh because only because I can recognize as a human being living the rest of my life that people don't talk about it these ways. But I think if they felt more comfortable again, they would, um, you know, be more willing to get help or to hear about the things that are, are preventative. So the issue with hemorrhoids is that hemorrhoids are basically veins 
that are around the anus, um, right near the opening or inside um, in the rectum, which is the part of your large bowel or your colon that comes down to the anus that allows us to evacuate stool. So similarly to prolapse, not quite the same, but similar, is that any um, state, whether it's pregnancy or chronic constipation and other things that are more rare, okay? I don't want to scare people, but things like tumors or things that are other abnormalities is that, that we're not going to worry about. Um, pregnancy and constipation are the most common things we're talking about that are both um, situations that increase the congestion of the veins, almost like a varicose vein, like if you think about it, in terms of your leg, which are more likely when you're pregnant or postpartum. Um, a hemorrhoid that bugs you is basically like a varicose vein that has now become swollen, irritated, and can create a variety of symptoms. So there's different kinds of hemorrhoids. There's what we call external hemorrhoids, which are like right at the opening, typically involving um, like the skin of the anus overlying it. And those nerves are really sensitive. So when you have a swelling down there, especially if it's really engorged or larger, that can be quite painful, the external hemorrhoids. When they go down and go away and diminish over time, and I'll talk more about that, they almost can become almost like a skin tag or like just like a tag around the anus that are no really no longer really um, a hemorrhoid per se, but can also be bothersome to people just in terms of the fact that they're there or they're just right. like a bump or like a tag of skin where you don't want one. Um, but internal hemorrhoids are the ones that can create more symptoms, especially with pregnancy or a bit of both really, where it's a vein that's a little bit farther inside that will become swollen, again, from stasis or backup of, of blood flow, almost like a varicose vein, it becomes swollen. It can actually prolapse, not in the same way that we're talking about vaginal prolapse. Mm -hmm. Prolapse just simply means protrude out of the opening itself. So you can get a collection of them all together Oof. and they come out. And so it feels like it might feel bumpy. It can create symptoms of pressure or just something protruding again. Um, it can make bowel movements uncomfortable. The external ones, like I said, can become painful. Mm -hmm. um, they can affect some people don't like them because they find it harder to wipe or to stay clean. So like, again, these aren't things people want to talk about how it happens to them. Yeah. Um, and you, you even talk about, um, incontinence of, of stool, like actually having trouble getting clean or wiping clean or having a bit of seepage of liquid stool, just because of the fact that it's affecting now the ability of the sphincter around mm -hmm. your anus to actually, stay completely closed and stop anything from passing through. Right. The other thing that can happen is they can bleed. You guys are loving this, eh? They can also oh, bleed. I know. <laughs> this is why I love listening wow. to Sandra talk about it. Cause she's just like straight up. She's like, this is what you do. Well, this is we're going to interview her. Thank you for that contact. Yeah. There's so much to dive, um, dive deeper here. Oh my gosh. But the point is just like, just like other areas in gynecology. And, and I, again, I don't treat hemorrhoids, but I see lots of women with hemorrhoids because they've got something else yeah. that comes along with whatever condition made most, mo both of these things more likely. Oh. So the point is, the point is many of us, we may say we eat tons of fruits and vegetables and Nikki knows how I feel about fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. but many people don't actually eat enough fruits and vegetables in our regular North American diets to have adequate fiber to uh, and, and therefore end up with things like constipation where they have to strain or end up with a situation. F uh, hemorrhoids are very common in pregnancy. Like, I don't know what percentage of those 82% were yeah. pregnant, but you have a lot of pregnant women that follow you. But the thing about pregnancy, again, 
um, just like varicose veins and other parts where they, cause you can get varicose veins in your vulva as well. Like let's not go straight into that, but you can like anywhere in the pelvic region, it's all connected, the veins. And so when, when there's a pregnancy, a large uterus with a baby in it growing inherently, which as one is when you're pregnant, there is slowing down of the blood flow in the veins. They can become weaker and then have like an outpouching or a swelling, which is how a hemorrhoid happens because of the pressure of, of the baby. Um, and so the idea is when you're pregnant, avoiding the constipation as much as possible, mm-hmm. uh, 40 grams of fiber is what Sandra said to me at minimum. Um, most people can't eat themselves to 40 grams. You have to take a fiber supplement, anything you want, mm-hmm. like over the counter or naturally to increase that. Don't sit on the toilet for a long time with your phone. Like don't Oh sit no. There. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> you mean don't escape to the toilet on your phone? Special <laughs> Instagram time. Get off the toilet and then say just you're still chill. There. I don't know. Just hang out in yeah. there. You just yeah. feel less don't guilty sit. though if you're sitting, don't you? <laughs> I do. But don't sit in the throne with your phone and Health like just self-care. like the pressure. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. It's not good for your hemorrhoids. And 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 avoiding straining, like anything with straining, um, you know. And, and the idea is, though, when you're pregnant, what we say to pregnant ladies is, you know, this will get better when you're not pregnant. Like, do everything you can to improve your comfort and prevent them from getting worse while you're pregnant. You can only do the best you can do. Right. It will diminish um, after you've delivered. It may take time. It may take weeks. But the point is that that pressure will be relieved. Right. Um, but what if, okay, so full fun fact. Sorry, I did a second. That pressure will be relieved. So, um, you know, this will, something that can, will improve after delivery for sure. Okay. So I didn't get them when I was pregnant with my, I didn't get them the second time around. Thank goodness. Okay. But mm-hmm. I did get them for the first time in my life after I delivered. So I think it must've mm-hmm. been from the pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, yeah. Oh, yeah, it can happen from pushing. Right. So oh, yeah. my, OB at the time, this was before I knew you, this was about two, two and a bit years ago. I was told to, and this was the advice. Oh yeah. <laughs> stick, push, push them back in with your mm-hmm. finger. Cause that mm-hmm. was going to be my question. Like, what do, what do you, what do you do? He's like, mm-hmm. push them back in with your finger. Push and in. I was like, oh, okay. Push well, there's just like prolapse there just like, pro, just like prolapse there are different grades of hemorrhoids and like this is something i'm less uh less versed on but the idea is that some of them will pro some of them won't prolapse some of them will prolapse some of them you can push back in easily some of them you can't push them back in and they stay out okay so the idea is i don't think you're going to harm yourself by pushing them back in you're basically doing that for comfort um and it's not harmful to do so you might have a bit of blood with wiping it's not it's quite common that hemorrhoids will bleed a little bit right. um and so bright red blood like on the toilet paper or on the stool or dripping in the toilet is one of the most common symptoms of having hemorrhoids mm-hmm. um but you can push them back in in terms of what you do about hemorrhoids again you make sure you're getting maximum fiber and water you're avoiding the constipation you're not sitting on the toilet for a long period of time um, they say there's lots of things you can get from pharmacies that might even have a bit of a steroid in them, like different creams or preparation H or these kind of right. things that you can put over them that will make them less uncomfortable, potentially, or less itchy. Uh, my colleagues say that they don't necessarily suggest um, getting those things. Um, they suggest basically just keeping the area clean, whether it's like sits baths, like which we have, you know, after giving birth as well with Epsom salts or something just to keep them clean. 
there's um, our stool, you know, or urine is irritating to the skin and it's irritating to the hemorrhoid. And so sometimes by just keeping the area as clean as possible with something like a sits bath helps with the irritation, um, a barrier cream, like even like a zinc oxide or a Vaseline, like something as a barrier cream just to protect the surface yeah. will be allow it to be less irritated and more comfortable. Um, and then just time basically and avoiding the straining as much as possible and the factors that are, that are making it worse for sure. Right. And push them back in. Nikki, did it work? <laughs> push them back in. It, it, they lasted like six weeks or so. Fun oh. story. So I went to a mom group because I was like, I'm going to do this. Like, you know, first time mom, I was like, it's pre COVID days. So I joined a mom group and I show up late. I was always late, like always late. And I show up because I couldn't get my stuff together. And, um, and I remember walking in and there was like, everyone's in a nice, there's probably like 35 women all sitting in a circle with their babies. And I show up like Seinfeld Kramer entrance, like, like, like just like frazzled, like all over the place, have my kid, whatever. Anyways. And they put me on the spot and it was a, a guest speaker had come in that day and she's a physio and she'd been going around the circle asking everybody like, what hurts on your body? And everyone oh my was God. like, my neck hurts, my shoulder hurts, my lower back hurts. And literally like, I didn't even think, I was like, my ass hurts. And she was, everyone was like, oh, and I could tell like, Half the people in that room were like, you're my people. And the other people were just horrified that I actually was like, I've got hemorrhoids. And like, it was amazing. It was a really amazing. great, fast way of finding my mom friends because the people who came up to me was like, honey, I got you. I've been there. Here's what you need to do. Those are my people. You know? 100%. Exactly. <laughs> so they accept you. Good. And like, good on you. I, that's, that's what needs to be done. My right. ass hurts. I have hemorrhoids. <laughs> and see, <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and it, you know, it, it did go away. And it's funny now that I, I and I've gone through it. I'm more comfortable talking about it, obviously, and sharing my experience. And people are so relieved. They're like, "Thank God, it's not just me," you know. And I think that's so. The theme here is that there's a lot of people, as you mentioned, Carolyn. Like people yeah. are embarrassed about problems below the belt, whether it's queefing, whether it's hemorrhoids, whether it's feeling like their their organs are, are feeling heavy, they're worried they have prolapse. Lexi, you're experiencing with running and peeing your pants. Yeah. Like everyone in the world now knows because you've yeah. been so open about it, thankfully. But these are these are big issues that you know we really need to to I don't want to say normalize because it's not that, you know, it's more that we want to talk about them so that we can get help for them, right? Exactly. And we all have an anus. We all have a vagina. Like, let's just be real. Like, you know, it isn't something that we should be embarrassed talking about. And if somebody else is embarrassed about somebody else talking about it, well, they need to sit, you know, realize that this may be something that happens to them one day as well. And so, you know, we shouldn't be embarrassed talking about it, like you said, to, in order to get help and also to understand the things that we can do to make them less likely, but also normalize it for each other. Right. Totally. So what, okay, let's, let's wrap up. We could talk about this forever, but I want to mm -hmm. ask you, do you have advice for anyone who's listening to this? Like maybe someone's scrolling through the episodes and they're like, queefing, hemorrhoids, that's my jam. I want to listen to this. Like what, what is your big piece of advice for anyone who has concerns about, I'm going to say, uh, like hemorrhoids? What is your big piece of advice? 
Eat as much fiber as you can, as many fruits and vegetables as you can, and avoid constipation. Okay. Constipation affects hemorrhoids. Constipation affects your pelvic floor, you know, with increasing the likelihood of having prolapse or different kinds of incontinence, uh, trouble in that way. Um, basically, look at the diet and what you put into your body is affecting your whole body, including this part of your body as well. So it's a part of our body we don't like to talk about, but the point is with looking after our overall health that way, um, you know, we don't imagine that it affects these things too. This that's, is, that's beautiful. Amazing advice. Amazing advice. And so simple because we can all control what we're putting into our bodies. And with that said, your Instagram, I went on before this, it is so amazing and thank so you. Many incredible recipes and like all that good stuff. So, um, what is thank it? You. Caroline best. What it's is best, it? it's well that one's called best budding chef um oh best budding chef sorry yeah because it's my last name it's not that I'm a professional chef at all I'm totally not but um I've just learned as well about you know looking after myself and allowing me to and I don't do it perfectly all the time but looking allowing myself to help look after others whether it's my kids or what I choose to do in my job right I mean um we only get one body, so we have to look after it. But I think that, you know, eating as many plants as you can, you don't have to be totally vegan, has a lot of health benefits. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed all the cooking and learning how to cook that way. And it's made a huge difference in my life. So I started about a year and a half ago sharing those recipes. And then, of course, Nikki and I put out the cookbook during um, COVID um, to keep ourselves distracted, right, Nikki? No, I'm just kidding. We had lots of work to do. Um, but as a way, <laughs> as a fundraiser, um, cause all the work was already done. So that's been a labor of love and it's much, very much also, uh, an outlet for my creativity as well. So thanks. And I enjoy that a lot. Well, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And just such like, looks like easy enough things that I'm not a chef by any means oh, yeah. I can do. So I'm fast, excited. easy. Yeah. Fast, easy. That's how I have to have, fast, have it as well with my life. Mm-hmm. you know, not too many ingredients. That's how you make it easy for yourself. It doesn't have to be hard. It's awesome. Well, we appreciate, um, you going there on all of these topics that is um, so informative and helpful, hopefully to also women and setting that stereotype. Like you said, that we all have vaginas and we all have anuses. We all <laughs> flat us, flat, flat So, Let's bubble bubble our way on, and um, <laughs> we love you. Thank you. Exactly. You. No problem, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.